have a lot of feelings about particular lines in this song. Yes, and I bet I can anticipate one of them, which I think I like and you hate. Is it when he calls her slender, childish creature? Because I'm like, ooh, that's not okay, but I like it. No, but gross. That wasn't one of the songs, but gross. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Earbuds. I am just popping in here at the beginning to let you know that after we initially released this episode, we found out some pretty upsetting things about James Barber. If you want to know more about those, you can Google them. We're not going to go into details here, but we just wanted to put a little disclaimer at the beginning that we do not support him as a person and anything that we said in this episode that was remotely positive about him was before learning the truth. So without further ado, please enjoy this very joyful episode of Air Buds. Lillian, hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing super well. Cool. I'm just feeling like I could burst out into song at any moment. Oh my gosh, that's so great. Because I was honestly kind of tempted as soon as I started talking. I was like, well, wouldn't it be great if I tried to sing this opening? And I was like, no, nobody wants that. <laughs> so I didn't. Yeah, we are talking at last about the Jane Eyre Broadway musical adaptation. And I'm so excited to go into these details. I am also super excited and I, you've been like sort of alluding to this because I know you've been listening to this sort Mm -hmm. of since we had a little bit of a confusion on (laughs) the many different Jane Eyre musicals there are who all have super (laughs) unique titles like the Jane Eyre musical or the new Jane Eyre musical. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, how many weeks ago was it that we listened to that off-Broadway or watched that off-Broadway adaptation? Was that like a month ago, maybe? It was, it has to have been over a month ago. Yeah. Since then, when I accidentally looked up the Broadway musical thinking that's the one we were talking about, I have listened to it many times. I've saved my favorite songs to my musical playlist. Uh, I have several of the songs memorized. I think I've mentioned on air that I even couldn't fall asleep some nights because the songs were in my head. Um, (laughs) But yes, so I'm very, very excited to talk about this. Where I listened to the musical for the first time today... And I've listened to some of the songs more than once while doing yard work, which I, I, there are just some moments where if if you don't, if you're not really paying attention, then every once in a while, some of the lines are like, Jane is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was the thing. It was, I feel like this musical has, first of all, way better than the first one. Sorry, guy from Utah, your songs weren't nearly as good, but I thought that this was a great improvement. And I think there are a few like powerhouse Broadway ballad numbers in this that really work. And then there's a couple of songs that feel a little filler, but they're nowhere near the kind of filler that we had from that first one. So big. Yeah, there were some, there were some pleasant surprises for sure. I also feel like one my probably like biggest high level note about it is It is a Broadway musical. That's what this is. If you like Broadway musicals and you like Jane Eyre, they did it for you. (laughs) This was a gift to you. This is, by the (laughs) way, the, we've said the Broadway musical a few times. It's from the year 2000 was the year it was on Broadway. It was originally written and performed in 1995 and had like 
sort of hopped across the country from Kansas and made its way to Broadway, but it only really counts once it's there yes. because New York is actually the center of the world. And if you don't believe me, Google it. They certainly <laughs> think so. <laughs> so Lillian, saying that if you are a Broadway fan, then you'll like this. That leads me to a very important question for you. <laughs> I would call myself a Broadway fan. I'm not sure if you would label yourself a fan, but I know that you have seen your share of musicals. Mm -hmm. I want to know, to kind of set the bar of what where we're both coming at this from a, a review of a musical, what is your favorite musical? Oof. And so animated I, films do count. Oh no, that's like a whole other <laughs> level of things. Well, first of all, while I'm mulling this, I did have a moment. This happens to me more often on this podcast than anything else I do in life. But if I'm sure a super relatable experience for people is you talk to your friend and you agree to do a podcast about Jane Eyre, but you know literally nothing about Jane Eyre. And then you watch all these adaptions and you realize you should probably read a book because that's what the whole thing is. Cause you feel really um, underqualified to be commentating on it when you don't really know it. <laughs> and then you're like, I finally feel like I really have my feet under me here. And I know how to talk about Jane Eyre stuff on a podcast. And then you listen to a musical soundtrack and you're like, cool, now I'm going to give feedback on a musical I haven't seen. I'm going to review a musical <laughs> I haven't seen. And my qualifications for musical theater are, I used to work backstage on a lot of plays in high school, um, <laughs> which I think answers your question with either, I don't know, it's hard. I, I, the mu movie ones, I can't, I just can't throw them in there because I thought it's like a totally be, separate category for me. I thought like, that might be an easy one for you if you're like, well, I don't know about Broadway musicals, but I love The Little Mermaid. And then be like, there you go, <laughs> I do say love that the one. Little, Little Mermaid. I, I, I absolutely adore like all those Disney movies. I think I just put them in another category of mm -hmm. thing almost, but I'm incredibly basic. And for those of you big musical theater buffs out here, this is not their favorite answer to this question. But probably of like classic musicals that are out there is Wicked, which Yay. you and I are going to go enjoy when they come to the cities here in a couple of weeks. Yes, um, that's not a basic answer. I mean, it is um, the quintessential white girl musical, but thank you. <laughs> and then my second quintessential doesn't really know musicals, white girl musical is Hamilton, well, which is probably go. I almost consider in another category in and of itself as well, because I just absolutely adore that. It's very, very special. And I, I think of it almost as a separate thing. And those are also probably the two that I'm most familiar with. As Piper knows, I can sing all the words to Wicked because it's our road trip song. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited to go see that with you very soon. Um, that is a show that I've only ever binged the soundtrack to, but it is also tattooed on my heart. So I don't think that's a bad choice at all. It's like one of the longest running Broadway musicals for a reason. Like it speaks to people. And so, yeah, I think that's, these are all good things to know. I feel of... like Wicked is, is the Starbucks answer of what's your favorite coffee shop. It's yeah. like, I'm like, okay, so Starbucks is everywhere for a reason. <laughs> um, but I am also curious if you have an answer to that question, Piper. 
Yeah. So Wicked is also up there in my um, like white girl answers when <laughs> like if we're doing a musical karaoke night, which I've never done, but I really want to, then Wicked is like right at the top because I've silly me thinks I can sing those songs. And so that's what makes it fun. Um, but I think probably if I was to like say critically and in the last like 10 years or so, uh, I'm deeply invested in the musical Hades Town, which my fiance Sam introduced to me from the concept album that he loved before it became a Broadway musical. And then I binged the album and made fan art for it and did all kinds of crazy stuff. I went down the rabbit hole and then I kind of like brought him into the Broadway version of it. And then we saw it together and it was absolutely great. So that one is a thing for me. But I mean, as with most people of our generation, like I grew up with all the musicals in Disney and animated films, but then also I grew up in a my it was a very like movie watching household and my parents loved kind of older movies too so we watched a lot of like MGM classic musicals as well I mean not just like a uh, a white Christmas or something but also like a <laughs> seven brides for seven brothers and mm. paint your wagon and like all of these kind of a slightly more obscure older movie musicals and so that's kind of where a lot of my uh, old-timey romance uh, is embedded in. And I'm like, okay, look here, it's not PC, but it's so cute, right? <laughs> so like, that's a big part of my my influences. But yeah, no, I just kind of wanted to chat a little bit about like where we both come from when it comes to musical theater, just so we have a bit of an understanding of like, what are we sort of looking for? Because I think that's a big thing is for me, like I said, I think one thing this musical does really well is the big Broadway ballad song, which is something we said in our episode previously about that other Jane Eyre, the new mm -hmm. musical, is that we thought that they kept missing all the opportunities. And this mm -hmm. musical gets every single one of them. If there's yeah. a big emotional feeling, which Jane Eyre has a lot of those, yeah. they put it to song in the perfect way, I thought. Yeah, I have I have some what is probably going to be considered nitpicky criticisms. I also think they did some things that were really, like I mentioned earlier, pleasant surprises that I want to talk about. But absolutely, like this is, I think, the one to beat. This is we talk a lot about some of our like almost staple adaptions of like they're people's favorites. They do a good job of adapting the story. They maybe have a little bit of their own take on things, but they are telling the story of Jane Eyre within their format. And this absolutely does that. Yes. Agreed. So before we get too far into all of this, uh, Lily and I were kind of debating ahead of time, whether or not we should actually attempt to recap with this since we didn't have access to like a recording of this musical. We literally watched some clips and listened to the soundtrack, but we decided we're going to go for it. And it's Lillian's turn. Okay. This is going to be <laughs> bad guys. It's going to be a bad time, but I'm going to try to make it bad and fast as opposed to bad and long, like some of ours. <laughs> All right. So we open on the story of an orphan. Um, this orphan is sad and people are singing about her. Um, and then she goes off to a school where they're going to punish her body to save the girl. Yuck. Um, and then after a while, her friend dies, which is like pretty sad also. So she sings at her grave. And but luckily, she's got music to get her through. Um, then she goes to a house where there's some spooky stuff and a lady who's adorable and a man who doesn't like ladies anymore because of all the women who have done him wrong. And that man, her boss. She falls in love with him, but he goes 
you know what? I've been ding dang dumbed wrong by so many ladies that I'm going to bring this other lady in and she is going to make you so jelly that you admit to loving me. Um, and then after she does some drawing, they end up admitting their feelings to each other. They're in love happily ever after. Just kidding. He's married, his wife locked in the attic. So she must leave. And it's very sad. And it feels like a time to cry, but she goes off and she gets some peaceful meditation time with the man who thinks that she should be his cookie for being a good person. And he should get a wife about it. Um, and she's like, let me pray. And then the wind is like, um, Jane, come get me. And she runs back to her man. And she then they kiss and their happiness sight comes back because God forgave them. Wow. The end. Um, a minute, 25 seconds. Wow. Not our long. longest one. No, that was great. <laughs> I've got all of my notes in chronological order. Should we just kind of move our way through these songs and kind of talk about them? I think that works. I've, okay. I've got some general production note things on the writers and actually just one of the cast members because I forgot to take notes about the rest of the cast members, but she's Jane. So she's the most important. Well, that's okay. I can give you a little bit of info that I have on James Barber who voiced uh, and played, I always say voice because I only listen to him, um, but who played <laughs> Rochester. And oh. my, my fun fact is simply that he played the Phantom of the Opera for several years nice. on Broadway. And I can definitely hear that emo gravitas <laughs> comes through very well from both a Phantom of the Opera and also a Mr. Rochester. <laughs> well, and I think the most important fact about him that is like, if you look up Trivia facts about him is probably that he one time, was it liked or retweeted your tweet? Uh, liked a tweet of mine. <laughs> he liked a tweet of Piper's. So that's like his biggest claim to fame is oh one time Piper tweeted about him and he went, oh, I like that. Well, I, I'm going to pretend that it was him actually pressing the like button and not maybe an assistant who manages his Twitter account. No, <laughs> it was no, totally no. James Barber. Piper and James Barber are, I believe, close personal friends would not be too far. So oh, yeah, yeah. He, take that with a grain of salt. When you guys are listening to her talk about this, just know that she's really good friends with the guy who played Rochester. So. It's true. Although if I can flex real quick, I have had fan art that I've made of Hadestown um, reshared on the account of Patrick Page who plays Hades. So boom, kind of, kind of a big deal, like whatever. I know that you say that <laughs> like it's a joke, but it is actually a very big deal. Piper's an incredible artist for those of you who maybe don't know. She did our cover art as well as some of my favorite art of all time. And you can check her out on Instagram if you want to <laughs> see some of her art also other places. Anyway. At, at Piper Cleveland, my full name. But yeah, okay. So my... First note is on the song Forgiveness. Do you have comments on songs prior to that one? Yes. They did it well. They did it fast. That's nice. my comments on the parts before it. I think the two <laughs> childhood songs are, the two childhood songs before that are done well. They establish the tone of the childhood and they don't draw it out in a painful way, which is good. They're, I think they're solid songs and they did it. Agreed. I did kind of love how it starts off with Jane, like, singing about, oh, there's a poor orphan and she has this doll. And then in comes Brocklehurst mm -hmm. and he's like, I'm here to ruin your life. And it's like, oh God. Well, and I think it's such a good, like, it, there's a lot of little nuggets in this musical that are references to things in the book like that with her starting by talking about the doll and anybody who's read the book knows that she has this really in-depth, Bronte goes really in-depth with 
the doll and her need for connection with people and all of that stuff. So it's a really well done sort of allusion to that whole piece for people who read the book and are big fans of the book. And I think we see that all the way through this musical is there's a lot of little, little nuggets like that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I now reading the novel, um, listening to the songs again from when I was listening before I read the book, a lot more stuff is standing out to me, which is Mm -hmm. always fun to see. Mm -hmm. But so my notes on the song Forgiveness, which is Helen's song Mm -hmm. that she does. uh, And it seems from what I gather, this song encompasses both Helen's initial interactions with Jane of like her kind of, you know, teaching her how to like temper her rage, but then it also kind of bleeds into her sort of farewell song as well as she's passing away because Mm -hmm. of her illness. And there's a a spoken line that I actually wrote down where most of it is sung, but then she pauses to have this moment of dialogue. And she says, a time will come when we leave this world and then the injustice and pain and sin will fall away from us. And only the spark of the spirit will remain returning to God who created it. And it's in that moment and in her whole song here, I think it really kind of highlights that this musical, I feel, pays a lot of attention to Jane's faith more so than other adaptions that we've seen. Because for me, that song is kind of this thing that Jane is, it's a moment in her life that's very pivotal. We've talked about this before, of course, but I feel like Jane here through Helen is finding solace and comfort in faith in a life that is otherwise cruel to her. And that's something I think that she often reflects on very vocally in the songs later when she's, you know, caught up in the trauma of what's about to happen to her. But I thought that was really interesting, the kind of spotlight they put on that. I completely agree as well. I do also think there's a lot more faith in this that I think is really well done. It reflects a lot of what kind of we know of and Jane's reasoning and her sort of like internal monologue. I don't think that it has as much of, cause you can't, you couldn't possibly in, in a musical slip in sort of the conversation around criticisms of the church and of sort of structured religion at the time. So I think there's, there's sort of allusions to that in the way she talks about faith. I think Jane Eyre, the novel <laughs> is a really critical of structured religions, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily, but not at all critical of the idea of faith. I think it's very, Jane is very strong in her faith, but it's more of a personal faith than it is a structured religious faith, which I'm a big believer in. That's definitely my preference. And I don't want to unpack that (laughs) right now, but it always ooks me out a little bit when we talk about children dying as anything other than tragic. And that has always been something that has bothered me about Helen's character. And it is something that sort of, it feels different. It hits different. I don't really, I can't really put my finger on what it is about it hitting different in the movies and in the book than in the song. Like there's something about it being in a song that feels very like, everything's fine, Jane. And there's nothing to be sad about, which is definitely what Helen's saying Mm -hmm. in the book and in the movies but it feels tragic anyway, Mm -hmm. where this felt like we were supposed to feel fine with a child dying in a way that I didn't enjoy. I'm not sure if I got quite that feeling, but I see what you're saying. And I think one thing for me is that the the woman who is playing Helen in the recording, she sounds like she has a full on like adult professional singing Mm. voice. So I wasn't really viewing her as a child when I heard this song, even though I know Helen is supposed to be a young girl. So maybe that's why I didn't quite 
feel that same way. Yeah, I also think it just, just in general, the idea of adults being cruel to children, like all my criticisms of the Jane Eyre childhood, like adults being cruel to children, because that's what God wants, always oops me out. And kids <laughs> dying because they're the the great news is they're going to go to heaven. And so it's actually fine. Also oops me out. Mm-hmm. So I may have just I, sometimes I just get stuck there and I can't get out of it. And I feel like you, you're saying this too, but I, I don't think the book is ever saying that it's okay to use religion to put down children. Um, oh, absolutely not. Yeah, no, 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 but, no. The, but the adults in the book are saying that. Right. Um, yes. It's there think... to be like, this is a bad thing. And then we have Helen who uses faith in a good way. And it's like, kind of like, let's hold these two up to each other. So you can kind of see what's good. Helen, what's bad. Brocklehurst. Yeah. And I think there's, Helen is definitely an example of a particular type of trope that also bothers me. I like Helen as a character. I know a lot of people like truly hate the character of Helen, um, which I find hilarious. Um, But I do think there's a trope of like young girls dying and then they stay really pure and angelic and therefore it's actually fine. And it's actually not. No, Um, definitely not. (laughs) And so I think that this just it always hits a little bit on that, but I always feel, I, I don't, I genuinely don't know what it is. Sometimes it's my mood is what affects it guys. Um, and totally it just fair. ooped me in this one. <laughs> <laughs> so we then get a song called the graveyard, which I thought served wonderfully as this great, mm-hmm. very natural transition song, uh, because we hear the young Jane actress, her singing voice is subtly replaced. It kind of is like a duet with her older self. And then young mm-hmm. Jane steps out and then older Jane is singing the song and it's about, you know, visiting Helen's grave. And I think not only is it a good way to transition us from young Jane to old Jane, but it also shows that throughout the years, she's always continued to visit Helen and go to her grave and, and sing mm-hmm. with her and have this moment. So I thought that was done really well. I think the the only note that I have on this, I also completely agree. I really loved how they did the transition. A song called Graveyard, a little too cheery for me. <laughs> but I think I agree. It was it was super well done. And just the other the other note that I I think was something that really stood out to me in these first five songs is I think they did a really great job of very quickly capturing Jane's childhood because it's something that can get really pulled out, but is also so critical to understanding the story of Jane Eyre and balancing that is always something that is hard to figure out in adaptions. I think I've maybe been a little bit more critical of it in the past than I give people credit for, but I think they did a a great job and just as a kind of, I don't have like a runtime percentage, but of the 25 songs, including reprisals and all of that on the album that we listened to, this is the first five are Jane's childhood, which I think is a really solid percentage of the story and way to, to, to interpret that, that section of the book. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Cause yeah, we need it, but we don't want to dwell on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's a little hard in a musical. I mean, it's not, you can easily write an entire musical just about a depressing, sad childhood, but nobody wants to sit and pay Broadway money for that. So it's like, come on, we're here for the, the romance. Let's get on with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My next note is that thankfully we don't hear Adele's very Adele's voice very often because my God, is it creepy to me? She, <laughs> has this very squeaky mouse voice. And I'm like, are you like an older actress who's trying to pretend to be a little girl? Because it sounded creepy to me. I did not like Adele's voice in this recording. Oh my God. So so Adele, not Jane. Adele. Adele. 
Oh my God. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> that I not at all the vibe I got. I was like, what a little cutie, but <laughs> no, it literally, I want to try and do an impression of like what she sounded like to me. Okay, she was like, do. she's like, we miss you. Like, it was just like, I was like, oh, what is happening? Stop talking. <laughs> like, oh my God. I feel like it would maybe be less annoying if we saw the actress. Cause you and I are, we're suckers for a cute Adele. Yes. Um, and I think they probably leaned heavily into a cute Adele cause they don't, it would be hard to have a little kid act. It's hard to have kids on Broadway. I know a lot about it as we've established and it just seems like a tough time, but that jumps a few songs ahead. And I do have, I do have one note on the song right after graveyard, which is sweet Liberty, which the thing that I wrote down. And the one thing that I want to mention around that is that's what Journey On was trying to be. Yes. <laughs> You're all familiar with the 2013 one, which if we introduced you to that and then you went and watched it, I am, I'm so sorry, guys. You should have been listening to this <laughs> because it's absolutely, they do an amazing job of pulling in some of my favorite quotes from the book around the feminism, mm-hmm. um, like the idea of we feel as much as men do. And it's this idea that Jane has these big feelings and she wants to live freely and she wants to express herself and she wants to go out into the world and she's very trapped by her circumstance. And so she's going to go out and find this freedom however she can. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's what Journey On was trying to be than Sweet Liberty actually is. Yeah, no, I think it's so interesting that both the writer of this musical and the writer of the Utah musical, they both decided that Jane's like want of of seeing the world or like getting beyond her station Mm -hmm. is big enough for a song itself. Because I do see that as like a big thing for her. But I like in reading the novel, if I were like writing a musical without ever having listened to one of these, I don't think I would say to myself, you know what she needs like a like I want adventure in the great wide somewhere song. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to me that they both were like, that's what she needs. See, and I think I think that it's similar to what we talked about on what was probably actually last week's episode, which is just the idea that Jane wants a full life and she's expressing this feeling of wanting more things. And often uh, people can get that from things like travel and experiencing more of the world. She has a very small world. She's only known these literally two places where people have been cruel to her and books have been her escape. And the books that she gets to read describe far off lands as this like fantasy adventure. So when she thinks of a life worth living, it's this far off place. And I think that that's where Journey On gets confused with the motivation for that Mm -hmm. as the idea of, I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. And she just wants to go somewhere else where Sweet Liberty, I think, captures the actual feeling by discussing this is, this is something of freedom. I want to be able to be in control of my life. I want to be in control of my destiny. I want to be able to feel these big feelings and be able to be a whole three-dimensional person and not have to live within these archetypes that people are trying to push me into this mold of being this little teacher at this school where I don't agree with the morals that they're trying to literally beat into these girls. Mm -hmm. I want something more than this. Life has to have something more than this. Yeah. Um, And I think it captures that. And it does talk about the idea of like getting out and physically like like traveling or doing something somewhere else. But it's really about her spirit wanting to do that, not her physical body. 
I like that. Yes. Awesome. Well, well put, Lillian. <laughs> You've changed you. my mind. <laughs> and one more, and on the giant scoreboard, we keep up. <laughs> one more point for Lillian. <laughs> this is kind of uh, to use some terminology um, for musical theory. This is Jane's first I Want song, which as we talked about in the previous episode, an I Want song is when the character you know, expresses, you know, their goals, what they what they want to achieve, what they're after. And I would say there are so many songs in this musical that feel like an I want song for Jane and for Rochester. They're mm-hmm. both just especially once we get into their songs together, just like they're both they got these raging boners for one another. And they're just like, <laughs> I just really want to be with this person. And they have to sing about it. And I think that that makes a lot of sense in a story like Jane Eyre, because it's so much about just like those internal desires and like, that battle of what you should do versus what you want. And I think we, so that would lend itself to a lot of I want songs. Absolutely. Um, yeah. My next note is on the song, As Good As You. Do you have songs I prior? I do actually have okay. more things on Perfectly Nice, which is the one where you noted how much you love Adele's performance. <laughs> My God, did they capture Mrs. Fairfax? <laughs> what a little goober. She's such a bean. Oh my God. <laughs> I she was a lot of fun she gave me major like Mrs. Potts energy um totally (laughs) yeah (laughs) I literally wrote down in listening to this song the thing that I get about Mrs. Fairfax which I think is probably true in the book too being alone is making her fully insane (laughs) oh yeah yeah she's not the only one going crazy at Thornfield (laughs) she's she's losing her mind (laughs) yes sure Bertha's in the attic but Miss Fairfax is down here running the show and she's (laughs) Well, absolutely lost her mind. And she's like, and then Adele showed up and now you're here. And maybe life isn't full of just sad crying times. Oh, poor sweet Mrs. Fairfax. <laughs> I, I have to say this now because I didn't make notes about this song later, but the song later on when uh, Mrs. Fairfax is like kind of being slip like- of a girl. Yeah, slip of a girl. <laughs> like I kind of love the turn of the song of her first being like, she's like, I'm appalled, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, I'm a- and then like Jane's like no it's cool everything's great and I'm in love and here's my dress and she's like oh well actually I think this is fine and she's like I assume I'm invited (laughs) like that line was the best (laughs) I just think like if you can't really flesh out Mrs. Fairfax's character like you just don't have the space for it which of course you don't they nailed it the like condensed like version of Mrs. Fairfax that you get in these two songs is fantastic yes what a crazy old bat i love her <laughs> just... a perfect um broadway adaptation of that character because <laughs> in perfectly nice she's making jane tea mm-hmm. so like she keeps interrupting her own story to ask jane questions about the tea and i think that's just so well done because <laughs> i can feel the um staging of that and just yes. the way that it would feel and i really really loved that but <laughs> You have notes on As Good As You. I have I have two notes on it, quite short, but I would love to hear what you have to say about it. So As Good As You is uh, the first big Rochester song that we get. Uh, we're introduced to James Barber and his beautiful voice. Uh, I am absolutely <laughs> in love with the way that he sounds, and I never want to hear a Rochester sound like anything but that. Uh, so the voice captivates. That is one of my biggest notes. But As Good As You is the song that he sings in which... He is kind of like he's where he's telling about Adele's mother and it's this whole kind of thing. We have this dialogue from from the book itself where he's talking about, you know, 
before. I used to be innocent like you were before all these things happened to me. And from the notes that I just made about it is that it's mostly about the way that Jane reacts after this song, because mm. I think he comes across as kind of just like a complaining dickbag. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, but what I think is so funny is, I mean, if you Let's put ourselves in an 18-year-old girl's mindset, but not just an 18-year-old girl, an 18-year-old theater kid who's obsessed <laughs> with Phantom of the Opera. So you hear this guy who's complaining the way that Rochester is, and he has a voice just like the Phantom. And you think to yourself, you walk away from that interaction, and you think to yourself, ooh, what a tragic backstory. <laughs> like, that's what I think Jane is walking away from this from. Just being like, I think she's like, oh, what an honor that I get to see this side of him. Maybe I can help. Like, it's oh totally... God. That energy. That's so real. <laughs> oh, it's the thing that you and I said to Sam when he was complaining about Rochester, and we were like, No, you have to understand, we can fix it. We can fix him. <laughs> it's a totally healthy response of I can fix him. <laughs> so um, that's my vibe from her take. I literally hear my notes on that song first, just the word dude with exclamation <laughs> point. Because my God, sir. He literally blames women for all the problems in his life, which mm -hmm. if you've met men, they do that. <laughs> um, it's not my favorite thing. Um, and then I literally, I wrote down, like at some point during it, I was like, is this kind of supposed to be a joke? Like, is he supposed to be taking this to an extreme in a way that we're kind of supposed to find funny? Because otherwise, like, it feels a little bit like one of those, like maybe the guys, the two men writing this also hate women. <laughs> for everything because I know you have to sneak in some character development but maybe he shouldn't hate all women because a couple of them done did is wrong yeah I didn't write down the line but there is some line that he says specifically about like women and their treachery or something like that yeah and just like and he says some things very similar to like maybe not maybe not all women but all enough of them and Jane's like I'm not all women I'm not like other girls Jane is, <laughs> in this and everything else Jane is the classic I'm not like other girls maybe we'll do an episode literally called that and talk oh about the gosh. other women of Jane Eyre <laughs> I would love that that'd be so great <laughs> so if I'm not mistaken the next song is Secret Soul yes yeah okay yes, it is. so the things that I have about this I wrote down a couple of lines this is kind of Jane like reflecting on she's just walked away from a dick bag like being like women suck rar <laughs> she's, <laughs> like, she's, she's like, like oh, I love him he's so cute <laughs> Um, so some of the lines that I wrote down that she like points out when reflecting on Rochester, she talks about his troubled tide and the waters of his fury, which are like also again, very like, oh, emo kid reflection on the <laughs> tragic boy that I love. Um, but so what I wrote down here in my note on this was apart from the thrill of loving a dangerous, complicated man, which who doesn't maybe Jane, if I'm going to give her, you know, some benefit of the doubt also kind of recognizes this anger and passion in Rochester that she had as a child and probably still has because, mm -hmm. you know, she's still angry about everything like our good girl, Marmy, but, you know, deals with it in a good yeah. way. I see Secret Soul as kind of her way of the same way that Helen helped her deal with her anger and issues, and all of this stuff. I think it's her kind of saying, I think I can do that for him. Like maybe yeah. I can help this guy, like find a better way to not be an asshole and, and, <laughs> 
be the awesome hot dude that I see him as. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think the thing that bothers me about as good as you is I get the impression that Rochester blames that the character of Rochester and almost everything else blames people in his past for his present and his problems of his present. It's very rare that we get a Rochester who truly accepts responsibility for any of the situation that he's currently in. Mm -hmm. And there's, that's a whole debate that we could have. What I don't like about as good as you that I think leads into my feelings then about secret soul is he explicitly blames not people, but women. And I understand that they're using that as a tool to talk about Celine while actually talking about Bertha and Celine. Mm -hmm. I get that. Um, I don't like it yeah. because <laughs> I think that Rochester equally blames his father and his brother for the situation that he's in. And I think that the reason why that bothers me as we talk about Secret Soul and as we talk about your excellent point of this parallel between Jane's internal life and her internal struggles of these big feelings that we talk about and this rage that she has from the way that she's been treated in her life, because they've both been treated so unfairly, mm-hmm. is that empathy that they have for each other. And the, the the that moment of this theme throughout the book, that even though they have these really different lives and these really different statuses in the world, they're both equals. Yes. And I think what bothers me about that song it implies that Rochester would not be able to see her as an equal because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. And I think Secret Soul if we're reading it the way that you're reading it, which I think makes sense, then I absolutely agree that J- that's what Jane thinks she's going to do in her love fixing him. Like we're joking about <laughs> that's where she sees this kindred spirit of this angry, passionate person who's been wronged and goes, here's, I have these things that I've been given by Helen in the past, in this particular example, that I can then give to you. And then we can both be these more elevated, healed people. And I think that that's really well done there. And I think that's why I think As Good As You is an interesting song. I think it plays (laughs) really hard into a particular tone and choice. I think it misses because of the misogyny in it. Yeah. And I think they probably decided they couldn't mention the dad and the brother just yet. Um, Because again, this is like here, we know, like you say, that he's also talking about Bertha, but at this moment, he's just kind of talking about uh, Celine. So yeah, it's hard to kind of bring in like everybody sucks, but right now I'm just talking about a woman who sucks. So women suck. Yeah. And I think (laughs) think that there's a way to do that where you say people have done me wrong and you just Mm -hmm. think about the idea that people have done me wrong and then specifically give examples about this woman. And similar to my commentary in the, when we talked about 43 and I was like, weird how they keep replacing female character side characters with male side characters. So then they get to make the point. I do think it's part of the subtlety of feminism that can be missed when it's interpreted by two male writers. And if somebody wants to argue with me that men can adapt stories better, then do it. Yeah. Um, Anyway. (laughs) So we've got to talk about probably my favorite song in this, Sirens. Okay, can before we do that, because it sounds like we're going to talk about it for a while, and I do think we're going to talk about it for a while, I just want to say... Your that, eyes, I know you were, there's some other song. What did I miss? There, <laughs> You're like, there's, two, there's two other songs. <laughs> what, what are the other two? <laughs> the Finer Things, which is oh, Blanche's song, which yes. I think very similarly, I think the, the B characters in Jane Eyre, which we've always talked about, are such great 
all, every single character in Jane Eyre feels so three-dimensional. And I think they do a really good job. The characters they choose to feature in the musical, mm-hmm. they do a good job of, of featuring those. And I think The Finer Things is such a great introduction to Blanche. It is absolutely that moment that we discuss of like, honey, you are missing the point. This man is <laughs> not interested in the things that you're offering, although you are very clearly interested in the things that he is offering. Um, so I thought that was a really great introduction and I, we're going to talk more about Blanche for a song in the second act. And then there's also the pledge, which is the song sort of introducing the idea of Mason and the idea that he goes, I've been dealt a blow, which they, I think they do a better job of sneaking in lines from the book than the 2013 musical, which is so mean of us to compare. (laughs) But whatever. Poor man in Utah tried his darndest. <laughs> he just really wanted to do it. And he did it to be fair to him. He did write a musical and we watched it. What and year? if you Google the Jane Eyre musical, it is by far the most accessible version of Jane Eyre musical. What year did his come out again? 2013. He wrote it 13 years after this. Which is so funny because like he had that little book that's like, you, you can write a musical about any story, but not Jane Eyre. And he's like, but they did it on Broadway. Like, <laughs> I can do this. He couldn't. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so introducing Blanche and giving her that song, I thought that was great. It was so interesting to me that we get like Blanche and um, uh, Mason and therefore kind of like the whole party that all Mm -hmm. happens prior to these big song, like love songs that I would expect were to happen kind of more around the bedroom scene. Yeah, I feel like maybe they didn't do the flaming bed. Um, which, by the way, for those of you like, didn't you have the script? I had the script to the new musical because everything that I Google <laughs> and think is the Broadway musical is actually the 2013 new musical who's stalking me. I keep waiting for him to show up at my door being like, Lillian, I brought a whole group, troop of folks to perform this musical for you. And they'll um, do their little jazz heads. They're like, where do bad girls go? They go to hell. <laughs> they'll be like, get off my property. Anyway, so we did not, in fact, have a script. And when I tried to find a script, it was impossible because it's a Broadway <laughs> musical. So you got to pay money for that. I'm um, pretty sure they did do the burning bed scene because of the really shaky handheld filmed mm-hmm. on someone's phone uh, footage that I came across on online, there were a few scenes where there were some pretty cool looking fire effects. So that was either for the bed scene or the house burning down. It was hard to tell. It was a dark theater and the phone <laughs> could not pick up things very well. So um, they tried something. Yeah, I think, and I think even if they did there, I think I personally feel that Rochester realizes he's in love with Jane after the burning bed scene. I think they have a lot of chemistry and tension sort of from the very first moment that they meet. But there is a debate as to when each of them falls in love, except for Jane, who thinks it in her head. And we get to hear that in her head. I'm sure Rochester also thinks it in his head. We just get to hear it. <laughs> Whereas before we said that inside, he's just thinking, Rochester, you son of a gun. In fact, he's just thinking, Rochester Jane, Jane, Jane. Oh my God, Jane. Jane is so cool. Did Jane, look at me. Oh my God, Jane was standing here. I could feel it. <laughs> like, just super obsessed. Yeah. So I think they're sort of saying that he he felt an attraction to her mm-hmm. prior, but he really is starts explicitly fighting that with sirens, which I also think there's similar to 
when they do it in, t- in TV shows versus a movie versus whatever, like the pacing has to be different. The way you put some of these pieces together has to be different. Another big piece that they move is, is the portrait, which I want to talk about. But I think that it's, it's the pacing as they're trying to kind of build to this crescendo of that end of the first act yeah. that we see this really interesting song. So- Seriously. So if I may gush for a moment, yes, please uh, do. because I, I love this song. I think it's the one that they used when it was nominated for the Tonys. Mm-hmm. So that's usually what they, they usually pick like their like crowd pleaser song whenever they perform at the uh-huh. Tony awards. And so they performed sirens and I think sirens is everything that I wanted out of that first Utah mm-hmm. musical that we didn't get, because I think it, perfectly articulates this this wonderful philosophy of musical theater which is when your emotions are too big for words you have no other option but to sing and Mm -hmm. so I love that this is it's all like kind of you know he's not singing this to her he's singing this to himself she's singing to herself but it forms this beautiful duet so we get the the combination of their emotions and I think it perfectly reflects this conundrum that Rochester is under. And I think this song makes me sympathize with him more, even though he had that kind of bad misogynistic moment in As Good As You, because we hear like both he admits this like consuming desire that he has Mm -hmm. for this woman that he super loves, but also his turmoil and wanting her at all is this whole idea where he's like, I can't do this. This is wrong. And it's this great duality of him kind of fighting with this And at first, Sirens is his song, but then later it becomes her song, which I think is also a great choice. And when Jane jumps into this song, the double meaning of both it's her inner thoughts, her own struggles with this, but it's almost as if he can hear her right of her Mm -hmm. own like lamenting. And it's sort of this unspoken attraction they have for one another. And so I loved at the end of this first version of sirens, when he sings like the sirens call the sailor, she calls me now. And then Jane goes into this beautiful kind of aria and I can just see him kind of like standing at the foot of the stairs, looking up at her room and being like, she's just there, but I can't have her. I should go away and avoid this temptation. And meanwhile, Jane is praying for his salvation. She's like, I can tell that he's tortured and I wish that he was better and maybe I can save him. And it's all this great stuff. And it's everything that's like, this is the issue that stands before us. And I love it. Yes. And I completely agree. And I think you absolutely nailed the the reason why this song is so good and is such a great encapsulation of the character of Rochester. And I happened to look up the lyrics while you were chatting. So (laughs) we're all going to get to enjoy Lillian reading something on the podcast again. The kind of verse that I feel captures it the most is, it's damn the passion, damn the skies, damn the light that's in her eyes. Know too well where it has led before. Mm -hmm. She saves me, but I can't be saved. Frees me, but I'm still enslaved. I battle that what I most adore. Oh, let me sail away. So I think that idea that Rochester knows Mm -hmm. that he shouldn't want Jane. He has resigned himself to an unfulfilling, tragic life. Mm -hmm. That's, That's the reason why he is this cruel, angry man (laughs) is because (laughs) he has decided that he can't have the things that he wants in life. And I think this is that internal struggle of, I think it just, it really captures that very well of like, I want her so bad. I see in her eyes 
that I think she wants me to, Mm -hmm. I see that same passion that I feel within myself. She, that, that thing that we're talking about of the idea that Jane thinks she can save him with her love. He goes, I can see that she is saving me with her love, that she could be successful at that but she can't save me because I can, I'm, I'm trapped. This life that I feel so trapped in, she could free me from that, but she can't because mm-hmm. I can't actually do this. And it's such a great job of expressing that without giving away the secret of Thornfield. And I think it's just, it's, it's a really incredible song. And I absolutely agree with you, the reprisal of that song later, which we can just talk about now when after Jane has realize the truth and learn the truth in act two, she reprises that song as she's debating whether or not she should leave Thornfield Mm -hmm. of this idea that she could have his heart, but not his name. And it's, it's incredible. It's, it's truly they're They're absolutely right in performing that at the Tonys. I think it's the piece that makes them sort of outstanding and, Mm -hmm. and takes it really, really captures that idea. If we were going to listen to one song, from this, listen to that. You can watch the performance on YouTube. Just know it's going to make you feel like the year 2000 was a really long time ago. <laughs> you watch that. <laughs> yes, it is kind of like almost grainy and you're like, what? <laughs> no, no, 2000 was like last year, right? 20 yeah. years ago. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I couldn't have put it better myself. Well done on Sirens. It's beautiful. Yeah, I think they did a fantastic job. And then they really messed it up by including like a one minute chorus song about things beyond this earth unnecessarily. That was sort of the break. I imagine that was the break after the intermission. I think they they did. It's the break before the intermission. It is. They do that before the intermission. That's the way I read it. Maybe I'm wrong. If it's a break after the intermission, I forgive them. I take back my unnecessary thing because mm-hmm. I'm like the end of sirens. You close the curtains and everybody goes and gets a drink. Yeah. And, and goes to the bathroom because <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, my God, that was so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I have to fix my makeup. I look terrible now. <laughs> I have to go fix my makeup. What if I meet James Barber afterwards? He can't see me like this. <laughs> James Barber would be so ashamed of how I look right now. We're such good friends. <laughs> Yeah, that's the way I interpreted it is that it goes sirens, curtain falls, and then we come back with this little like, hey, we're all just kind of resetting the scene. I, I I'm think. curious now. I think I because I think that you're right. And I think I'm. Yep. It's called opening to act two. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like opening. That's what they do before they, they close act one. Right. <laughs> Amazing. A lot of things about musicals. And are you glad that you're listening to the podcast that we have? <laughs> So this is a um, a theory based on the shaky handheld footage that I saw. Okay. The that ensemble cast that sang that song. Um, I caught like a, a moment in the play when Jane is running, and the ensemble is kind of like acting as narrator, and mm-hmm. they'll but they'll talk in first person as if they are Jane, which is very interesting, at least from what I could tell. And if you've actually seen the show and that's not it, maybe I I couldn't tell through the grainy little. Uh, cell phone footage but it seemed as if these different players are standing on the stage each one with like a spotlight on their face and they'll kind of like talk through be like and then I ran through the moors as Jane kind of goes by and it's this interesting kind of take on that yeah if you have seen this Broadway musical yeah please tell us about it please correct the things that we got wrong we're Um, we're sleuthing ones on scraps (laughs) 
If you haven't, you can also tell us, but unfortunately that may result in a Kmart parking lot fight. Um, Piper <laughs> does not participate, but she does like provide snacks. Yes. Well, I, I'm the ref. Uh, so I'm there too. Very fair. Um, yeah. and she's not at all biased towards me, which feels like a joke, but is, is serious. She thinks that sometimes I maybe deserve to get my ass kicked in a Kmart parking lot. <laughs> I I'm there to hype whoever wants to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, punch her. You're like, could we just talk this over through words? And I'm like, no, go, go, go. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to fight you. I think everyone's opinion is valid, but you two should fight each other. But sure. you should fight so we can just see, because that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, my next comment is on the song Painting Her Portrait. Do you have something before that's, that? No, that's the next song. So that's, that's perfect. Let's do it. I really have the song list in front of me, but I don't. <laughs> fight me about it um <laughs> this i also thought was a good song it's not one that i would regularly just like kind of throw on to listen to um but i thought it was good narratively and i liked that they chose to grab this moment from the novel it really made me think of speaking of wicked uh i'm not that girl and hence mm. the reprise of you know um either in in wicked it's alphaba comparing herself to glinda and here mm -hmm. of course we have jane comparing herself to blanche but mm -hmm. i thought it was well done and i liked it yeah, I thought it, the the pacing of it was really well done. I think the way that they introduced that, I was because it is very much out of order. Because usually, she she actually in the book right draws the portrait of herself after she finds out that Rochester has left to go hang out with Blanche. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the number of pieces they would need to pull together to do that prior to the audience seeing Blanche would be unnecessary. And I think it's a great way of sort of when we have all of this connection between Jane and Rochester and we can see them both having this passionate internal conversation or in sirens to be able to come back and, and really highlight Jane's insecurities and why she's not confessing her love to him. Um, I think it's a really great way to do that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So I have my next note is on the gypsy song. Um, my next note is on a, the song right before the gypsy song. Well, then you take the lead. I want to talk about a lot. So speaking of Blanche, so I think we go from this song about Jane's internal monologues about Blanche to the in the light of the virgin morning, oh, which... Yes. I've always hated when things are randomly called virgin and there's a few versions of that in this that I don't <laughs> love, but whatever. I really, really loved this song. Um, so this is the duet that Blanche starts and sings along with Jane. And it's how these two different women see Thornfield and see Rochester and how Blanche is very much in love with the money and comfort that Rochester can provide and wants to love the man, but doesn't believe that she'll be able to, but will definitely be able to love his money. Where Jane is in love with the actual place of Thornfield because of the comfort and love she's experienced there. She's in love with the man that is Rochester. And if she, if she had a choice, she would be with him and stay here with him in this happy Eden where Blanche goes, we'll definitely sell it and move to town. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like this duet with them too. I agree. But I, even though Blanche is obviously the, she's Jane's rival in this, at least in this musical, just from the songs, I don't hate Blanche in this, the way that like, I dislike her in other things because she's, yes, she like sees the house at face value and mm -hmm. all this stuff. But I mean, 
if we kind of like look at the context of the period and, you know, if she doesn't find a husband who can provide for her, she's kind of out of luck and she's like, well, I want to live a happy life. So that means hooking myself a man with money. Uh, this one isn't hot, but he's got a cool voice and he's edgy and he's got a lot of stuff. So that'll work, I guess. So I can't hate Blanche for, you know, her wanting of these things, but it is really, I like that this musical kind of puts these two women on this path together. And by giving them them both that song, mm -hmm. it really kind of shows the unfairness that Rochester uses Blanche the way that he does. Because she's also, just like Jane, thinking to herself, like, I think this is my future. And guess what? Mm -hmm. It's actually not. Yeah. And that's, I think that that is absolutely how I felt about this song. Um, I do know that I've been pretty anti-Blanche. I've taken some hard anti-Blanche statements. My, our past episode, I believe I just called her a bitch over and over again for probably <laughs> yes, five minutes. You did. <laughs> um, but I want to be super clear about one thing. And I think that this song and this musical really highlights this version of Blanche that when you are only able to get this one criticism of her, I, I don't find that to be problematic about her. I have never not once had a problem with what Blanche does to Rochester. Mm -hmm. I've had a problems with what he does to her. But Blanche is not sure she's flirting with him and flattering him. That's what you're supposed to do. Blanche is doing what women are supposed to do at the time. My problem with Blanche, the reason I don't like her in other things is because of how she treats people who have less power than her. Yes. And the fact that she picks on people who she finds quirky and odd. That is the reason I don't like Blanche. People who do not fit the mold that she is so actively fitting. Mm -hmm. She is cruel to what she does to Rochester. I'm fine with um, what he does to her. I think is actually pretty fucked up. Yes. agree. <laughs> so I, mean, I think this is a, this is a great example of like Blanche isn't doing this to try to ruin his life. I think even in the finer things song, you can see that she genuinely believes that they would be good partners mm -hmm. and that they would make each other's lives better. Yeah. And she wants, she's very honest about what she wants. She wants a nice big house. I mean, she, sort of misleads him that she wants him mm -hmm. but I think she isn't misleading him in that they both on their face value bring these two valuable things she brings this connection and beauty and she has this this connection to this high status family and she is a very desired person and he is older and alone and sort of creepy and has this bad <laughs> <laughs> this bad reputation and she's willing to overlook that and be with him anyway, because he brings something to the table and it's something that she wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I find what he does sort of despicable because he wastes a lot of her time and she doesn't have a lot of time, but yeah, I think this is a, this is a great example of, of a song where I, I completely agree with what you said. I was nodding vigorously, which I'm sure our listeners heard through your whole thing. Cause I think Absolutely. It, it puts these two women on an equal footing in a way that I really enjoy. Yeah. I almost kind of wish it'd be, I don't know how they would ever do this, but I would like us to see an adaptation where Jane and Blanche have sort of like a friendly encounter with one another. I don't think it's really possible. I mean, maybe what you could do is like, once we jump to their happily ever after and, and Jane and Rochester are married. And then maybe by then Blanche has also landed herself like a man with stability. So if they meet in social circles, they can be like, eh, no hard feelings. It's all cool. But I don't know. I just, I kind of want to, to see them have sort of some, like, I, I see you like, and I see you moment. I think that'd be nice. Yeah. I, I also really hope 
that in this musical after the song Gypsy, she slapped Rochester across the face really hard. <laughs> Which, okay, so my one note about the Gypsy, I listened to this on um, Google Play, and there's a name that isn't James Barber that's listed with this singer for the Gypsy song, mm-hmm. but then it like goes from this like this strange kind of squeaky voice into his better tone. And I'm like, wait, was that James Barber singing that song? Or it's a, is it a different actor like they put a different name is that to trick the audience it's like what's the truth i don't know because we didn't see it on stage but now I, re- I have this mystery and i really want to know yeah there's a totally different name on here if you google that name does anyone come up or is it just say like this is a joke this is a Not- fake name <laughs> this is a joke lol um <laughs> i think we're just gonna outsource this to our listeners someone out there's gotta know you guys are so smart and you know so many things and we've been talking about this for way too long so email us at airbuds at gmail.com yes because um, now we have to talk for a long time it won't be too long but the proposal my second favorite song in the musical, your eyes look. I have a lot of feelings about particular lines in this song. Yes. And I bet I can anticipate one of them, which I think I like and you hate. Is it when he calls her slender, childish creature? Because I'm like, ooh, that's not okay, but I like it. No, but gross. That wasn't <laughs> one of the songs, but gross. So um, my positive notes on this, first of all, is my second favorite song in the entire album. I've listened to it many, many times. I love the back and forth of it. I think both James and Marla, the the actors, are giving this song their 100%. There's so much emotion in the singing. I think it does this nice kind of balance for me personally of him, you know, kind of pushing the stupid lie where he's like, I'm going to send you off to Ireland to bitter not lodge with this like stupid little voice though he says that. And then I, they don't spend too long with that though. Um, she quickly turns because he's like, oh, is that a tear in your eye? Are you crying? And I love that she mentions that she's like angry with him. So she's like, yes, because like this pain and the sadness is turning to rage. How dare you like treat me this way? I thought we had this unspoken, cool, edgy theater kid connection. And then he reveals, you know, his whole thing. Um, one critique of this song though, which if, if we want to dive into criticisms. I've got some criticisms. <laughs> they changed, they did a line in this that I, that made me actually actively mad where she says yep i'm like a bird on the reef and it's like you are specifically not a bird why would they do that that line sucks okay everything else i like about it i have i have like a whole (laughs) rant about that and one other line so i i agree with all the things that you said i want to like this song there are two lines that absolutely wreck it Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. one is that line where in the song she says i am like a bird who wishes she was never born into this cage mm-hmm. the That's- line the famous jane airline i'm sorry all the totes. to yell at our <laughs> listeners is i am no bird and no nut ensnares me i am a free human being with an independent will and the fact that these men i'm gonna break something <laughs> the fact that these men <laughs> took that beautiful, incredible line about how women, no matter what, in the situation they're put in, they are still free, independent human beings who have their own will and can do their own thing. And they took that and they made her a sad little bird in a cage. Makes me want to go back in time, kick them in the dicks, and then push them on the ground. Nice. 
anyway. <laughs> I completely agree with you. That is the most stupidest writing decision that you could do in an adaptation of Jane Eyre. It is, is making. Like, don't even reference the bird thing. Don't yeah, ref- just- the point. The point wasn't there's a bird in Jane Eyre. Yeah, that wasn't the point. Mm-hmm. If anything, he should have said that line and then it would have been okay because this whole thing is like when she's trying to get away from him, he's like, don't struggle like a frantic bird. And she's like, Mm -hmm. shut the fuck up, dude. Like, But the fact that she says it, that is very wrong. And they did bad by that. So So mad. Not good. What's your other big frustration? It's less big than the bird one because the bird one I wrote in all caps, (laughs) what the actual fuck underneath. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry for people who care about swearing. I wish I could communicate without it, but I apparently cannot. So the next one is one of my favorite lines, and we've talked about how much I love it, is the string line. Mm-hmm. He says that before she confesses her love. That is yeah. him talking about her going to Ireland. Mm-hmm. And he says, I feel as though there's a string tied here and then it ties there. And if you left, I would bleed inwardly. Mm-hmm. They put that afterwards. Like mm-hmm. they they throw that in, but yeah. it's in after the confession of love. And I'm like, no, the whole point is that he says that to her to try to elicit the, the like empathy mm-hmm. of, I also have this connection to you. It's expressing this idea of connection She's not leaving after they've agreed to get married. What are you talking about? Well, so anyway. there's there's a sort of like the song goes on a bit of a roller coaster. So he he's gaslighting her that's going up and then like she gets mad and explodes at him. And then he's like, no, there's a place for you. It's here with me. Stay, be my wife. And I love her reactions. Like you can really hear in her voice of being mm-hmm. like, what do you mean? I'm like, get the foot. What are you doing? And I love when she's like asking about Blanche and he has, I think this is actually a great line where it's like the gypsy told her that my wealth wasn't half of my first claim and Blanche Ingram, bless her heart took the bait and not my name. And I'm like, Ooh, I love this rhyming. Um, but so there's this whole thing and he's like, he's asked her and she's pushing back and pushing back. And it kind of seems as if she said yes to him when she does call him Edward, when he asks her to like call her mm-hmm. by his name. But then there's a line where he says, he's like, God, forgive me. You are not getting away from me, which I, if I was envisioning the staging of this, like she kind of runs off and I think he grabs mm-hmm. her and pulls her back. And then he goes back into this other serenade of devoting himself in which she then like, is like, yes, I'll marry you. And they have that big moment. And he says again, slender childish creature, which is quite Ugh. creepy, but kind of nice. I don't know. Um, <laughs> don't, don't back down from it. I don't want to yuck your yums. If you enjoyed that, you enjoy that. <laughs> I do enjoy it. I think it's fun. <laughs> I have to say one of my favorite, like big power, powerful belting Broadway moments in this thing is when he says the line, I wash my hands of every youthful crime, defy them all. God will give me time. And he, it's like, he's like screaming to the heavens, which in the story and in many adaptations, you know, once she's like, yeah, I'll marry you. And they embrace and stuff. He then like awkwardly talks out loud to himself where he's like, he's like, God, forgive me, but you will not take her away and all this jazz. And so I love in a Broadway version, of course you have to have him like insulting Mm -hmm. the heavens. And he's like, take her from me if you can bastards. Like I finally got her. She's mine. And I just love that. And like, he has this thing about like, I hear your precious voice across the moorland skies. It's all so big and epic. And of course, little theater Jane is going to swoon in his arms and be like, (laughs) oh my God, let's get friendship bracelets. And it's just like, (laughs) so good. So I think I completely, listen, I wish I liked this song. I wish I could let go of my undying rage. I was so mad Mm. about, because you and I've talked about the idea that 
uh, anyone who's listened to this podcast, we are not Jane Eyre purists. You do not have to do it perfectly. We we want you to capture the themes or do your interpretation of the themes if you're mm-hmm. going to make a commentary on it. This is a misinterpretation of the theme. Yes. That is not, this is not a commentary. They're not saying, I think actually Jane is a bird in a cage. No, they just <laughs> deeply fucked up at the, their understanding of that. And I can't, they missed it. Mm-hmm. They were so, so close with this song. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a good, they did a good song. Um, <laughs> I think that they, if they had pulled the references all together, I wouldn't be so mad, but they're trying to make these references to the book yeah. and they're doing it poorly yeah. and they do it well in other places that we've talked about, but mm-hmm. we've, we've been talking about this for my whole life is it (laughs) since I was born or shortly after Um, (laughs) the rest of my notes aren't nearly as involved um I mean we've talked about the um so it goes yep it goes slip of a girl then the siren reprise which we've talked about both of those there is farewell my angel Mm -hmm. which is kind of like where have you gone Jane sort of Mm -hmm. song great job did it then there's my maker which is another song we sort of talked about the idea of that those religious songs and having more of that. I really did enjoy the song rain. I thought it was a lovely sort of like peaceful transition Mm -hmm. song that I really loved sort of that space that she is in with the rivers, which I liked. I agree. And my note on rain is that again, it's the combination of that. And then also uh, the forgiveness song in that. I think that's the moment when everything else in her life has like turned to shit. What does she have left her faith in like a higher Mm -hmm. power? And I think during rain, yes, she turns again to faith and that's kind of how she finds her way to happiness and sanctuary. Um, And something that I just wanted to note on that as well is when I first started playing this musical, I didn't know that I had it on shuffle. So I played played orphan and then it went immediately into rain. And I was so confused (laughs) because rain doesn't explicitly have plot moments that I recognized. So I'm like, what is happening in this? Why is she an adult? Anyway, so I do hot tip for me to you. Don't listen to this on shuffle for the very first time. No. You listen to it. I would then, never recommend listening to this on shuffle because it's a story. <laughs> it's like, hey, what if you start with chapter one and then just for the fun of it, jump to chapter 15? <laughs> just do I it. I sometimes pull my favorite songs from musicals and listen to them on shuffle. <laughs> I like to live on the edge. I'm a rebel. <laughs> Speaking of rebels, rebels, voice across the morning. Wow, Sinjin. You suck. <laughs> he so sucks. Like I have here that um, says Sinjin uh, out here using his faith inappropriately. <laughs> Her always. Yeah, as he does. He he really they really encapsulated Sinjin as a character who believes that because he has served God, he deserves the cookie of being in charge of this woman's mm-hmm. whole life. And mm-hmm. I I really, really, really deep a theme that is in a lot of things that I truly hate is the idea that a woman is a man's reward for something. Yeah. And he no. says that in this. Uh, I don't <laughs> mind people saying that we it's sort of like the idea of you belong to me versus we belong to each other. Mm-hmm. It feels very similarly of like, we deserve this love together because we are good people and we be- like we deserve each other and the love that we have yeah. versus you as a woman are my prize. And now I'm going to carry you back to my cave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he did he did wrong there. Uh, and uh, God rubbed it in his face by sending her Rochester's voice so she yes. could be like... <laughs> 
gotta go bye <laughs> which should I marry this total piece of garbage that's like no no babe get out of there <laughs> you gotta go home <laughs> um I love that in this version just with the context of the songs siren and the reprise her hearing her his voice he literally is a siren yeah like and maybe her going back to him is her crashing a boat upon the shore, but whatever. Better than what a cool boat. What a cool shore. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, man. So then we have poor sister. Cause she does go back to him. Okay. That song. So great. I can't think of a, an, an adaptation where we see uh, Mason again. Mm-hmm. So the idea that he, that when she returns to Thornfield, she finds Mason mourning at the grave mm-hmm. of his dead sister. And I'm yeah. like, that's, awesome that makes mason such a more interesting character Mm -hmm. that he's like mourning his sister and it's not just like oh my crazy relative died and burned down this house he's like no my poor sister she was sick and she was in this situation and now she's dead Mm -hmm. i loved that they gave that moment to the story i think yeah i think the idea that um the character who tells us the story of the man of thornfield burning down is a character who does not blame rochester for it but does also see Bertha as a victim and see her as someone who deserves sympathy and grief. And um, it's not that Bertha's death is not just a uh, removal of a barrier for Rochester and Jane being together, but in fact is something tragic that we should be sad about. I think it was really well done. Yeah. Agreed. Then it's brave enough for love. Yeah. Our final song, which I, I, when it started playing, it sounded as if they were, musical elements of the proposal song kind of brought back into this which is again very common in writing musicals is that Mm -hmm. you have this kind of common different musical themes which play for characters and significant moments and so it did kind of sound like they were nodding to that in brave enough for love but i really liked the duality of it i liked the kind of reflection and um, commentary on the sort of like power flip for the two of them so i thought it was nice Yeah, I I feel very similarly. I think it's a good way to wrap up the musical. It's a seven minute song. They do a whole epilogue piece, which I thought was done really well. I can just, it feels like a song where afterwards I'd pick up my purse and be like, oh, I really liked that. And we'd go out and find, walk to the car being like, what a cute musical. So nothing (laughs) outstanding, but also nothing that fills me with undying rage. Um, They did make one little plot change that I didn't love, but also understand um which is they sneak in that she did get an inheritance but they make it from aunt reed instead of from her uncle which i get it as a workaround i if you're out there listening to this because you're going to make an adaption and you want to know what i specifically think i wouldn't do that i think it's a bad (laughs) idea but i get it <laughs> I yeah, I'm sure they just didn't want to bring in the whole uncle plot line. Um there was no like read songs. Um so we never I mean I assume those scenes if they happened then they must have all just been like characters like acting on stage and kind of acting those out. So yeah, maybe they didn't uh portray it the same way as it is in the story, the fact that Aunt Reed would actually give money to Jane is far-fetched but yeah whatever it gives her her fortune it makes her an independent woman so Ooh. Ooh. so quick notes on the production it was nominated for five tony awards um and it won none of them because it was up against the producers uh, um which is it won a lot of things i think it won of technically like all of the awards that year um <laughs> except for viola davis who won one award but to be fair 
Um, I don't know what she was in, didn't write it down in my notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, it would be a lot easier for award shows if they just said, and Viola Davis wins them all again, because she <laughs> should. Um, but it would just, that's just my advice for streamlining that. Um, the book was written by John Cardi. Don't he, he is a person and he has written a lot of musicals and has won awards about them. He's primarily a director. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Paul Gordon wrote the music. Um, I do think that Jane Eyre was sort of his big, um, his big musical. That's the one that he was like actually nominated for things for. He's written quite a few other things that seemed like they did okay to well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jane Eyre is the one, the only one that was like nominated for Tony's and things where, uh, John had some other things that he was nominated for. Cool. Um, we've already talked about our Rochester. Um, our Jane was played by Marla, Marla Schaffel. Schaffel? Mm-hmm. Sure. We're going to go with Schaffel. <laughs> um, she, has, she has been nominated for quite a few. She was nominated for quite a few awards at playing Jane mm-hmm. um, and did actually win two awards. Um, one was Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Actress in a Musical, which was Jane Eyre. Um, and then Outer Critics Circle Award for Best Actress in a Musical for Jane Eyre. Um, she was nominated for Best for Tony for Best Actress in a Musical for her performance as Jane Eyre. And then she was also nominated a year later for a different award for being a lead actress in My Fair Lady. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I, I liked her performance. She had a very regal voice. Um, mm-hmm. It's not quite how I typically picture Jane sounding quite that refined. Um, but I, it worked for me, you know, after like the first listen through, I was like, okay, yeah, I can just, I can just accept this, but. And I think it played well with Rochester's big, big voice. Like, yeah. I don't know that their presence is meshed together for me, mm-hmm. um, which I think is important, but yeah, I think, I think she did a great job. I think yeah. she, from, from what I heard in the musical, I assume her face did great things. Um, <laughs> one I, other, oops, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that when I was listening to the soundtrack again and taking all of my notes, there was one song that came up where I think it was like mostly just sort of instrumental. There might've been like one random person singing, but in like on the music listening platform that I was using, it was kind of like scrolling the names of like the people mm-hmm. who were singing for this song or doing stuff for this song. And the name Steven Tyler went by and I was like, it can't be like Aerosmith, Steven Tyler. And I was Googling it and I'm pretty sure it's not him. <laughs> Although, cause I couldn't literally, I couldn't solve this problem. I think there's a man who is involved in Broadway musicals and his name is Steven Tyler, but he doesn't have a photo that exists online because I've also stuff did come up that talked about Steven Tyler kind of working on like the SpongeBob musical and things <laughs> like that. And I was like, and then that he was like at some point trying to make like an Aerosmith musical. And I'm like, this must be just another Steven Tyler, but how buck wild would that be if it was here? Go ahead and make that your headcanon about it. Um, I also feel like an important note um, is that I shouldn't be allowed to imagine choreography in my head, <laughs> especially when Rochester was singing some of his like his farewell song. I pictured a lot of like shoulder dancing. <laughs> So that's just, that's just a note for the universe. Oh my um, gosh. Don't let my brain do that itself. Cause I laughed at a lot of this. It wasn't funny. 
That's so funny. I did not picture like much dancing at all. This felt like a very stand in one place and belt toward the audience kind of musical, not a like, let's move our arms around while we sing. There was something about, I think, I genuinely think it was his farewell song that he sang to Jane that felt like it needed movement. And my brain, instead of picturing him taking like big strides forward and putting his arms out, which I would think what you would actually do was a lot of like... towards the stage amazing well you know maybe he was like a three glasses of wine Rochester (laughs) in so he was doing that yes yes absolutely (laughs) well if you've stuck with us this long you're probably dying to know what we're listening to what we're doing next yes after our reviews of course yes so um I have established the fact that I truly believe that every male character has a wife locked in the attic, which is a problem of this podcast. (laughs) So every once in a while, we have to get me out of my little trap and, and shuffle me into a different space where I can see that sometimes stories don't end that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so Piper and I do that with palate cleansers, Mm -hmm. um, We were going to do the new Persuasion because I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, this might be good. And I sent it to Piper and she's like, um, I guess, I guess we can do that. Um, and here's the thing, guys, we heard it's bad. Every review I've seen is saying that it's absolutely awful. It's not like fun, bad. It's like bad, bad. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're not going to watch it because I don't want to watch a bad movie. No. So instead, we are asking for your guys' help. We have picked four good movies, um, and we're going to put a poll out. It'll probably go up later today if you're listening to this on the Monday that this episode comes out, Um, but it's going to be open for about 24 hours because that's how long social platforms leave things open for, Um, and you can vote for one of four movies for us to watch for a palate cleanser. Um, one was actually a suggestion from Allison Hall when she was a guest on our podcast, mm-hmm. um, which is The Sound of Music. Uh, then another one is Bell 2013, which if you haven't seen that movie, I mean, obviously listen to everything we've ever done ever, but also go immediately and watch that. It's so good. Yes. Um, Young Victoria, another favorite of mine about Queen Victoria um, and her love story with her actual cousin. Um, and then <laughs> Sense and Sensibility, the, I believe 1995, we didn't mm-hmm. double check it. So that's a, that's a pretty solid guess. Um, but it's Kate Winslet and Emma Thompson and, um, Brit, Professor Snape, um, <laughs> <and> Alan Rickman. <laughs> um, I wanted to say rich something and I knew that was wrong. Richie um, rich. <laughs> um, Alan Rickman and Hugh Grant's in that too, isn't he? I don't know. I've never seen it. Oh my God, you've never seen it? I've changed my mind on the poll. We're just making you watch Sense and Sensibility. No, because I really want to watch um, Sound of Music. So you guys, it's in your hands. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so you can, I'm going to put it on all of our social platforms. So you can vote on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, And you can vote in all of those places. So if you feel very strongly about wanting to hear us vote for one of them, um, you can do that on all the platforms and get extra points because I'm going to... take them all together and count all the votes across all the platforms. Uh, so if you're looking for those polls, check out at AirBuds on all three of those platforms, go ahead and vote. And then we'll announce it by, we'll say by Wednesday of this week. So 
Um, if you plan your, your life around our super cool podcast, um, (laughs) that's how you'll, you'll know. Yes. But before we move too far, we have to give our ratings for this Broadway musical. Oh my God. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. I was so caught <laughs> up in my anger about the birdcage situation. <laughs> Which I'm sure will read deeply into your votes, uh, your your personal rating of this. Mine, I, it's going to be a high one for me. At first I was like, is this an eight or a nine? I think the fact that I've downloaded several of the songs, listened to them many times and memorized them. I'm giving this a nine out of 10 Broadway bangers. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this eight out of 10 cageless birds. Nice. And so- I don't know how I'm going to represent that. Maybe it's just a cage next to a bird. So <laughs> um, check out our social to see how I did that with icons. Perfect. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that you still gave it a pretty high rating. I thought maybe your, your vote would go down. I did. I really did enjoy it. I think it was a really well done, solid musical. Um, I also did happen to go double check what we rated the last one. And (laughs) I personally think that your rating for that musical was affected by the fact that you were comparing it to this, um, because you gave it four out of 10. I gave that (laughs) six out of 10. So I can't possibly give that six out of 10 and give this anything less than an eight. That's so funny. (laughs) Well, you guys, if you want to share your personal thoughts on this musical, your favorite songs, um, which ones you skip every time they come up on your iPod or your playlist, you can message us. We are airbuds at uh, gmail.com. We're on all social platforms at Airbuds. Check out our awesome website that Lillian built. Airbuds.com will take you there, but also .weebly.com. Uh, you can see what book chunks are coming up next. If you're reading along with us, you can recommend different adaptations that you want us to watch. If you do so, please also, if you can, send us links or advice on how to get our hands on those. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it for this week. Thank you guys. And if you guys are still here, we love you so much. I mean, we always say like Piper and I talk about that all the time. We love our listeners. Um, We love hearing from you on any of those platforms that we mentioned. It does really matter reviews. So if you take a moment to write a five-star review or however many stars you feel we've earned um, (laughs) and a few sentences or even just one sentence, um, writing a little bit um, actually really increases and matters a lot to those platforms on whatever platform you're listening to. If you could leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate that. Absolutely. So until next time, you guys, thank you so much. We love you with all of our Jane Eyre hearts and happy Jane Eyre reading and watching. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.